hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Depending on where you look, a whopping 40 to 50% of LGBT individuals are not out at work. What does that mean for employers? What does that mean that they understand and know about their employees? It means they don't know enough. That's why we're having Todd Sears of OutLeadership back on Queer Money. He's sharing with us some recent data that they have put together that's showing that when companies understand more about their employees, they can support them more. And he's showing us why it may be important for us as LGBT individuals to self-identify to our employers about who we really are so that they can support us more. You may remember Todd from episode 108 when he was on talking about the return on equality. Todd is a huge advocate for our community, a member of our community, and has done a lot to build leadership in the LGBT community. So let's hear from Todd. This podcast is sponsored by Capital One. Capital One is redesigning the banking experience by offering simple, straightforward, and seamless ways for you to bank from almost anywhere. So banking fits into your life, not the other way around. There's personal finance for the masses. This is not personal finance for the masses. This is Queer Money. Well, welcome back to Queer Money, Todd Sears. We appreciate having you. Thanks. Nice to be here. Wonderful. How's everything going without leadership since we talked to you on episode 108 last year? <laughs> it's, been a, it's been a really great year. We've continued to grow in terms of members. We have 73 companies now that are members. We just launched two major pieces of research at our U.S. summit one of which is the first ever LGBT business climate index that ranks all 50 states on LGBT friendliness for business and talent, as well as the first ever global self-ID for LGBT folks, LGBT+. And, uh, and we're continuing to launch and expand this fall. So we have our European summits, our Asian summits, our Australia, and uh, next year's our 10th anniversary. So we've awesome. had a lot going on. Yeah, congratulations. Oh, nice. that's, yeah, that's, that's awesome. exciting to watch. Yep. Thanks. And we're going to be talking about one of those studies today, the LGBT plus self ID. Uh, what is that exactly? Well, it's the idea that LGBT plus people can identify themselves to their companies and to their employers, either through the HRIS systems or the employee engagement surveys, or quite frankly, in, in any other mechanism that the company can provide. And it's the idea that it creates visibility for what is otherwise an invisible minority. Yeah, you know, I think that's kind of interesting because I've seen several statistics over the last year or two talking about, I think it's anywhere from about 40 to 50% of LGBT individuals are not out at work and are probably not out to their employers either, right? So I think that this gives an opportunity for maybe some of them or even those who are out, but maybe their employer in general doesn't know, maybe just their boss or a few of their colleagues know it does help to provide a little bit more information or insight as to who their employee makeup. Yeah, it does. And the latest study in the U.S. was that 50%, 50% of employees are still in the closet. And that's actually up in the last three years, primarily, in my opinion, due to the federal administration and the hateful rhetoric we see coming from the federal government. It was 47% of employees were still in the closet, and now it is 50 Outside the U.S., it can go from 50% of the employees in the closet in Europe, and specifically the U.K., 
all the way up to 90% of employees in China are still in the closet. So it does really speak to the need for employers to know who these employees are and know that they exist so that they can start to change policies, but they can also advocate in the countries in which they operate. Absolutely. That makes sense. So I'm curious, is this is LGBT plus self-ID, is this more of a campaign or you do you have software that you're promoting to try to drive this conversation? Well, interestingly, it, it's not a campaign. It's Maybe it is a campaign. It's an information <laughs> campaign, for lack of a better term. We don't have a software platform because every company has their own. Mm-hmm. Um, but self-ID started happening when I was at Merrill Lynch. We added self-identification in 2004. So this is not a new conversation. Interestingly, when Bank of America bought Merrill, they removed it because the HR systems didn't match, and now they have re-added it years later. So it's, it's not a new conversation at all. But the research that we did actually came out of frustration that I had over the last year and a half, couple of years, as I would travel the world and I would meet with different leaders in different companies in different countries, I would have the conversation around you know, whether or not they knew who their LGBT population was. And were they aware of where they had LGBT employees, especially in LGBT unfriendly areas, for example? Did they know how LGBT employees fared in the company? Were they being promoted? Were they engaged? Were they happy? Did they feel discriminated against or supported? And that, by the way, is the major reason to actually have self-ID. And I would get so frustrated because so many companies would say, oh, well, we can't ask those questions in this country, whatever this country is. We can't ask that in France. We can't ask that in the Philippines. We can't ask that in Hong Kong or Singapore. And I would get frustrated because I know companies that do ask those questions in those countries. And I would say that. I would say, well, that's actually not true (laughs) because these three companies do. But there was no sort of compendium. There was no guide. There was no reference to which I could point them that would show them that. And so that's why we wanted to do this piece of research. We wanted to be able to map which countries, which companies, how they actually ask self-identification questions, what the legal risks were or were not. Because I find that what the biggest shutdown for this comes from legal and compliance (laughs) people, you know, and that's their job. Their job is to be as risk averse as possible, but it's also a leader's job to take that into context and make a decision and weigh the risks and the benefits. And so we wanted to create this document and this piece of research to actually be able to help these companies understand what they can and can't do, why they should do it, what the best practices were. And luckily, Ropes and Gray, the law firm who's been a huge supporter of our leadership, was willing to actually invest in this idea that I had to build this research. So we spent about a year going across as many companies. I think we had 38 companies that reported to us what they did in what countries, et cetera. And we distilled it into this piece of research. Nice. Nice. Interesting. And so... Yeah, I was just going to say, I think it's... um, you know, John and I have worked with several companies over the last couple of years. And one of the things that we have found, not only from the companies that we work with, but it seems like more companies that are trying to be supportive of the community, one of the first things they say is that they want to support their LGBT employees and make sure that their employees feel like this is a comfortable, safe, and supportive environment for them to work. But as you point out, if they don't really know how many if they don't have an awareness of who in their in the company is an LGBT employee, then they may be falling short when it comes to trying to be supportive because they may not actually know. You may have some individuals say, well, it's not that big of a deal because there aren't that many LGBT employees at our company, or it may be only in these particular cities. But you're saying this data is starting to show maybe it may bring some more awareness to those companies. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, an interesting example would be IBM. So IBM and Citibank are two of the companies globally that have done the most. I believe Citibank allows employees to self-identify in 37 countries around the world. Wow. And IBM launched self-identification in India four or five years ago, which if you think back, that was when it was still illegal to be LGBT. That was when the 377A law was still on the books. And so one, by virtue of doing that, that, that sends a message, right? right? But IBM actually had an LGBT employee group in India that had 12 employees who were part of that group. And when they did self-identification, they had 1,200 employees self-identify. Wow. Wow. <laughs> right? Now, that sent several messages. One, there are a whole lot of gays in India that work for IBM. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but that also allowed IBM to do two important things. One, it allowed them to make sure that their policies and procedures in India were LGBT inclusive because they knew they had a population and that they were able to track that population to say, are they being supported? Are they staying with this? Is our culture inclusive? What do we need to do? But two, it also allowed them to advocate to the Indian government when they were talking about 377 being repealed. Right. They were literally able to say, this anti-gay law puts at risk 1,200 IBM employees. And as a major employer in India, if you want IBM to do more work in India, it's going to be really important that this law no longer exists. Right. Wow. Well, and that's why we're big fans of business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We have, that's one of the things that same, we have. Same, same. <laughs> right. We, we have continually said on this podcast over and over, it seems like the ones that are actually making the progress, it seems to be individuals who are coming out of corporate America. Corporate America is pushing for progress, even more so than many politicians are pushing for progress, it seems like. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's globally. I mean, in the U.S., you see, you know, business has continued to be the major driver. And, and I'm proud that our leadership has helped create a lot of those conversations globally. But but also, you know, if you take it outside the U.S., and I'm fascinated how few folks know this, if you look at Indonesia or Hong Kong or Sydney or Malaysia, any of the places where our rights have either been at risk or up for a vote, the business community has been the single largest visible and vocal supporter and interestingly, in financial services, Wall Street has been the lead across all of those. Yeah. Yeah. That's been our experience. Right. It, it, yeah. it, and at the same time, it's so funny because we often hear and see pushback from the community about capitalism in pride and advertising to the LGBT community. We don't, so mm -hmm. I think sometimes we forget how supportive the business community has been. And so many of the services that our community relies on wouldn't be there if it wasn't for a number of companies, especially. Yeah, I actually, um, I'm a guest contributor to Forbes, and I wrote an article three weeks ago that you could link to if you want, about exactly that, about corporate pride. And my strong feeling that at our peril, we ignore the contributions that companies and leaders and CEOs have made. We would not have any, in my opinion, of the progress we've seen in the last 15 years were it not for corporations. Yep. Full stop. Like yeah. it just, it wouldn't have happened. Yeah. The funding wouldn't have been there. The pressure wouldn't have been there. We would never have gotten it from the government or from federal leadership or state leadership. It's just, it's just not a thing. So I, I, I do get frustrated when, uh, no, now pinkwashing is quite different, right? That's right. absolutely. And it makes the companies who do good look bad. Right. So absolutely. it's in everyone's interest to make sure pinkwashing doesn't happen, but that's not what we're talking about. So right. yeah. So I think it's, I, I totally buy into the value of companies understanding who their LGBTQ employees are, what numbers they have, um, and how they can best advocate and represent for them. But 
are all the results good? I mean, we just talked about India. There are some countries that are adverse to LGBTQ people. So what kind of risk are these people putting themselves in if they self-identify, if it's logged somewhere in a mm-hmm. one spreadsheet and can be accessed by nefarious means? <laughs> so in our research, that's one of the first things that we address, which is the privacy concern. And when I explained it, I talked to companies and the simple way to say, you have to give LGBT people a reason to self-identify. Simply saying, yeah, we want to track you isn't a motivator, <laughs> right? It's, right? It's just not. <laughs> and because of exactly the reason you identified, there is risk. And even in LGBT-friendly places, there is a risk, right? I mean, we, we can still be fired in 29 states in the U.S., and yet, you know, so many companies that are multinational allow identification in the U.S. So there is always going to be a concern by LGBT folks, and that show up in underrepresentation in the first several years that company actually provides self-ID. It will take employees time to understand that it is safe, et cetera. So I, the first question is, you know, how is the data protected? But really, the, the sort of overarching theme needs to be, why does this matter? Yeah. Right? Just going into some HR database somewhere is not a motivator for anybody. So being able to say to someone, this matters because it allows us to advocate for your equality. It allows us to create programs that support LGBT leaders and developing leaders. So our Out Next program that Out Leadership has is our, the Emerging Leader Program. It's the first global next generation talent program for the gay community, and we have it in five continents. And companies use self-identification as a way to nominate people to go to the program. Uh, yeah. Right. So if people raise their hand and say, look, I'm LGBT, then the company can say, great, here's a development program that we've invested in that will help you in your career. And we can't do that if we don't know who you are. Right. So that's another positive. But, you know, I think IBM, just to use them as another example, did a really smart thing, which was they actually built a communications campaign around self-ID and specifically chose one person. And there is one person globally who can see the self-ID data. That's it. Wow. And they built a campaign. They built a campaign around her. And so there were posters and videos and emails. And it was basically like, you know, this person, let's call her, let's call her Mary. I don't know what her name was, but for the sake of being gay stereotypical, let's call her Mary, right? <laughs> so was she uh, serving hamburgers? Yeah, she was. You got it. Palm Springs. <laughs> so so Mary has this conversation and she says, or the, this communication, IBM employees, I'm the one person who can see the self-ID data. But here's why it matters. It allows IBM to better know who you are. We can support you. We can track your career. We can advocate all the positive things. But your boss will never know. Your manager will never know. Your HR person will never know. The CEO will never know. I am the only person globally who can see this data, and it will be protected in the following ways, da 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 da, da. Right? So you sort of allay people's fears by protecting them from a privacy perspective, but also letting them know why it matters and that there's one person versus 100 HR people. And that's been a brilliant strategy for them. Interesting. interesting. I guess I like the anonymity on one hand and the fact that it is safe in the, in this particular instance. But you talked about, say, for example, development programs where someone yeah. is LGBT. So if I'm not out to my boss, but I don't want to participate in one of those programs, then I guess I have to come out to my boss, right? I have to let them know, hey, I'd like to be nominated for that program or I'd like to be able to go to that particular conference that is LGBT themed. Yeah, and, and that that really goes down to the individual employees' security and feeling like they can actually be out. And it also goes down to the company creating a culture that managers can be supportive of that. So right. it is absolutely a trade-off. There's no, if you are not out to your manager, going to a self-nominated LGBT program will be very hard. Right. Full stop. I mean, there's just, 
whether or not self-ID exists won't change that. Right. That's just the culture that these companies have got to create. Right. And so those of you who are listening, if you're not out at work, but you still want to be a part of those programs, there is going to be some consequence, but also some probably some benefits of coming out. And John and I have advocated for more individuals to come out at work because visibility does matter. We're just repeating what Harvey Milk said yep. decades ago. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I guess the devil's advocate in me wants to ask, though, you know, we had that University of Surrey study that came out a couple of years ago that showed that people who even just seemed to be LGBTQ were less likely to be hired, promoted, yada, yada. Doesn't this sort of put people at risk in terms of advancement of their careers? Or do you think that's mostly unconscious biases that can be overcome with more data and education? Uh, I think it's actually both. There's never going to be a utopia where we don't have homophobia in companies or businesses or government. I mean, that's just, you know, we will always have challenges, right? So I think to presume that every company that has 100% of the corporate equality index is never going to have a homophobic <laughs> manager that works in Alabama, like that's just, you know, unfortunately, that's just, that's not, that's not how the world works. So there is always a risk reward analysis that every person has to sort of navigate. And, you know, to your point, I, I also advocate for people coming out. And we actually have research that shows if you are out at work, you are much more likely to be promoted, to be happy, to stay, to be positively engaged, and ultimately to connect to people. Because business and companies are all about connection. And you can't sort of navigate a hierarchy in a company, for example, without being honest about who you are. And people may not know you're gay, but they'll know you're hiding something, right? And so that connection is severed. People think that there's something, something, well, one that you're hiding, but something that you're missing. And there's some lack of connectivity that then occurs from that. So there is definitely a risk. And I think that the best thing that LGBT people can do when they're looking for jobs is to make sure that they talk to other LGBT people in companies and industries. Yeah. Right. Because University of Surrey study, and there was another one in the US too, that Andres Tapi did at Harvard, showing that, for example, I think they had a, he did a study of a thousand resumes that he sent out and half of them, the person was obviously LGBT because they were a co-chair of the gay student alliance at their college. And the other half were the exact same, but they were president of like a progressive student alliance or something. And they were four times less likely to get an initial interview with the fortune 100 if they were openly gay on the resume. But if you drilled down into that, it was in specific places, sadly, you know, places like where I'm from in the South. And you have to take that into account. We've actually, we're doing some research we're launching in September, diving into where LGBT people will live and not live, how they will move for a company and what they're willing to give up. We actually have data that we're going to reveal in September that shows how much of a percentage pay cut gay people will take to move to a more LGBT friendly place. So it is a navigation that I think LGBT plus people have to make. But the more people who make it and the more people who are visible and out and then ultimately successful, that will be that sort of tipping point that'll change it for everybody else. Yeah. Unfortunately, I I landed on that taking a pay cut to live in an LGBT friendly place. I think it really should be the opposite. We should be demanding pay increases to live in LGBT <laughs> places because aren't they the more expensive places to live? And yeah. hey, if you want us, you know we're going to be good employees. By and large, LGBT employees are some of the most dedicated and loyal employees. So you better educated. pay more for us. <laughs> I couldn't agree more. And we're empathetic. We make great leaders because we have to code switch between the gay and the straight world. It makes us incredibly sensitive to reading a room and to navigating people. We're amazing leaders. Yep. And I agree, people should pay us more. And 
if they put us in LGBT unfriendly places that we should get hazard pay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So if you're listening and you think you're going to take a pay cut to go live in one of those more expensive cities just to be safe, think again. <laughs> it, it could be to your financial detriment. It could cause you stress, exactly right. Right? right? But now we're getting off topic. Mr. We are. <laughs> so I, Susie I, Orman wouldn't have, wouldn't approve. She would approve, <laughs> and she rules everything. Well, no, Madonna does. But anyway, I'm just going to keep my mouth shut right now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to tangent. And now a quick word from our sponsor: Capital One's checking and savings accounts have no fees and no minimums. And with one of the best saving rates in America, you can rest easy watching your money grow with no fees to bring you down. You can open an account in about five minutes, which means you are only about five minutes away from getting your savings to grow with one of the nation's best rates. So you've mentioned a little bit earlier that, you know, not everybody who's at these companies that are that are collecting this information right yet is comfortable enough being out um, and self-identifying. Uh, we get a lot of pushback in the studies that we've partnered in with different financial services firms and the data that we get from that and the the trends that we we see in our community specific to to money saying that it's skewed and not completely accurate. Are you receiving any pushback and if so how are you responding to that? Well, we just launched the research 2 months ago and we actually have not gotten any pushback yet. I don't know that that's going to last forever. But I will say that all the companies have been very interested and you know i think ropes and gray has been fantastic in helping us both promote it we're going to be actually expanding it and discussing it in asia at our fall summits in hong kong because companies are starting to do more self-identification in asia and so you know i think if you look at the i think the data pushback that you're getting in terms of wealth in the community etc or from financial services organizations that's a little bit of a different track from just simply knowing who your employees are i do think that some of these companies could extrapolate the data and start to sort of tie some interesting trends and and I think the, the one thing that I always have tried to sort of raise, which is you know, true whether you're looking at self-ID or not, what a company does for LGBT plus employees can change the culture. We're the canary in the coal mine of a corporate culture in these companies because we're invisible. Yeah. Right. What a company does for us, the idea that you're having gender inclusive bathrooms because of trans or gender non-binary people can actually shift how a company looks at gender broadly, which ultimately helped the women in the organization. And so the idea that self-ID can, can help with those pieces, I, I think it's viewed primarily as a positive. I, I, I haven't gotten any pushback yet. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. You've given us a lot of information. This is all very exciting, and I, I think it's headed in a great direction. What is your like, biggest, highest level goal with this information campaign? I'd say a few things. I think we have sort of stagnated at 50% of employees in the U.S. being in the closet. Right. Between yeah. 47 and 50 percent. I would very much love for this idea of self-identification to create another channel for people to come out and be visible, to then have companies better understand who their LGBT employees are and better create system structures and support so that more people can be out. I think to your point, you know, from the Harvey Milk quote on through, it matters. It matters to younger gay people, to see older gay people. It matters to you as an individual. You know, if you spend half your life hiding, that's so much energy. There, there are um, older gay people. There are. <laughs> there are. And there's a certain set of younger gay people that find them very attractive. So you know, that's. Um, <laughs> and so you know, my, <laughs> not to derail too much, yeah. uh, but but that would be uh, you know that would be my my goal for this. I think 
the more visible we can be. And by the way, it's not just helping our community, it's helping allies too, because there are so many straight people, I mean, who has gay kids, straight people, right? right? So the more visibility we can have, it actually helps the straight allies as well, right? Brits Jenrette, the vice chair of EY, has a transgender son. And he relied on the LGBT people in his company to help him navigate his son coming out as trans and transitioning. Like, what a gift. But the only way that happens is if we're out. Right. That's weird. I was told by my church that only gay people make gay people. <laughs> I was very confused. <laughs> and we've got to be really busy because there are so many gay people. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> what I, you know, I'm doing you, something you've, wrong. You've touched on this a couple times now, the benefits of identifying LGBTQ people and how the business environment is, is working for or against them, how that can affect other demographics in a company, such as women. Mm-hmm. Can you extrapolate on that a little bit more? I think it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, if you, if you think about doing something from a corporate culture perspective that is for a minority that you can't see. So Lloyd Blankfein is a great example. So Lloyd, the former CEO of Goldman Sachs chairman, was my and out leadership's first board member. He's been a huge supporter of LGBT rights and diversity in general. And, and he had an interesting comment, which was that every room he walks into he assumes that there are gay people there, are lesbian people there, are bi people there, are trans people there, are Jewish people there, are Christian people there, are Muslim people there, are black people there, are women. Like he assumes that every possible diverse demographic is in any room he goes into, and that's how he frames a conversation, which I think is really brilliant. Yeah, right. One, it shows massive self awareness, but you know, it then colors how he approaches the world. And sends a message of massive inclusivity from the very beginning. It's not like he's doing it because somebody told him to, or he has some HR person whispering in his ear. That's how he literally is. That's his leadership style. Yeah. And that's been really successful. You know, there was an example of a, an LGBT MBA recruiting event in London a few years ago. And this particular year, there were 30% of the population attending were Asian women. And the, the organizers were just baffled. And they said, Oh my God, how did we find the Asian lesbians? Like that's, crazy like you know who figured this out how cool (laughs) and they started asking the women you know how did you hear about this you know what is the story with this sort of asian lesbian contingent and the women said oh we're not gay but we know that companies that are good for gay people will be good for asians oh wow wow (laughs) that's awesome and we see that happening more and more so it's it's the idea that you're not doing you know there's a great example that i love from a guy named martin davidson He's a professor of leadership at Darden School at University of Virginia. And he talks about sidewalk ramps, right? Now, so, you know, I'm talking about sidewalk mm-hmm. cutouts. Like, right. you know, so here's a question for you guys. Why do we have sidewalk ramps? Probably, most likely ADA. Yeah, ADA. Yeah, there you go. We absolutely do. We have them because of people with ADA. What percentage of the population in the United States is in a wheelchair at any given time? Including temporary, you know, wheelchairs as well. Oh, wow. I have no idea. Less than 1%? Yeah, around 5%. Oh, wow. Okay. Right? And it varies, goes up and down, but around 5%. So we did something for a population of 5%. Now, who uses sidewalk cutouts and sidewalk ramps? <laughs> Everybody. Everybody. Otherwise, Everybody. I'd fall a lot. I do fall a lot. Anyway, yeah, and so same. same. Hand-eye, <laughs> hand-eye coordination is not my strength. Yeah. Strollers. Wheelie luggage. The the wheelie luggage industry was built because of sidewalk ramps. They didn't exist before ADA compliance. Yeah. <laughs> so we did something for five percent or less of the population 
which arguably at certain points was the gay population, by the way, yeah, that made everybody's lives better. Changed the whole world. Yep. And that's the idea of doing something for the LGBT population and changing the entire corporate culture. You do something from the margin that impacts the whole. You do something small that has a huge impact on everyone else. Right. You know, I, I think, think that, that message has to get out more. Right. And I think that was that was one of the messages that John Roberts had when he was on the podcast last year as well, talking about how that has evolved into companies' bottom line improving because more employees feel like the company cares about all of them rather than just a select group. And when they feel like that the company really cares about everyone, then they think the company cares about them. They're more likely to stay, more likely to continue to improve and be loyal to a company like that. That's exactly right. Yeah. And I think you call it return on equality, <laughs> which, is what, which is what we talked about when you Hashtag were return on equality. Yeah. I do. Yeah. Trademark and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Very smart. You know, when you were talking about the Asian women feeling like if there was an LGBT-friendly organization or conference for them to go to, that that was probably safe for them. We were at World Pride this year, and we were standing at Fifth Avenue, and and part of me was just thinking about like this whole straight pride or white pride thing or whatever was going on at the time simultaneously. And I was thinking to myself, I'm seeing like random people giving each other t-shirts and hats and whatever, trinkets going around. and (laughs) Hugs and I love you and celebrating people for being who they were. To me, there's a complete disconnect. Like this environment here is inviting to everybody. I saw straight and gay people, black and white, everybody. Everybody can be included in that. We don't need to just to speak to a minority. Everybody can come along to this parade. We don't have to have just a, a white parade or right. a, a straight parade because not everybody can go to the straight parade. Right. And I think one of the other things that you, you mentioned about this whole idea of these Asian women feeling comfortable is for the longest time our community has relied on allies. We have needed and we still need in many ways our allies for support. But now our community is being allies to other people. (laughs) We're actually being the ones that are bringing the support and protection or the appreciation for other communities. Exactly. I think that's absolutely right on both counts. I mean, we still very much do need allies. Allies are the number one reason LGBT people come out at work. Right. Literally. And yes, I agree. I mean, I think if you think of the progress we as a community have made, even if you think about, if, if you ask someone 15 years ago what the stereotype of a, an LGBT plus person, or probably back then it would just be a gay or lesbian person, was, if it were a gay person, it would probably be someone who was HIV positive, who was in the arts, or a florist, or something in, in one of those three veins. Yeah. You did not have stereotypes of gay bankers or gay lawyers or a gay man running for president. Right. 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 And so if you think about that, I mean, it is massive progress and really amazing. And, you know, we've we've got challenges still, of course, but on the whole, holy cow, you know, what other community has made the rapid progress that we have? And and I think to your, your final point, that does create an obligation that we have to help other communities along that journey. I mean, the African-American community or the Muslim community or the women's community. I mean, there are so many and they have different challenges, right? There's an intersection and an intersectionality approach to all of this, but each community has their own challenges and opportunities. And so if we can sort of be the community to be the glue and to pull others along with us, I think that's huge because the other 
minority groups exist within us, right? I mean, we do have LGBT women. We do have LGBT Muslims and people of color. And so it should be a natural fiber of our community to do exactly that. Absolutely. So I'm 100% sold. And for all the CEOs that listen to Queer Money. (laughs) (laughs) Or HR executives. Why are you both laughing? HR executives. (laughs) How can can, uh, employees or businesses who are interested in LGBT plus self-ID, how can they get more information? How can they proceed with their own organizations? Well, the research is publicly available on OutLeadership's website at OutLeadership.com. If they want to be more involved in OutLeadership, they can shoot an email to info at OutLeadership.com. We do have out news that comes out every two weeks that digest the most important things in LGBT plus business globally that they can subscribe to. And if they want to participate in our summits this fall, London, Paris is the first week of October. London is the second week of October. Hong Kong is the first week of November and Sydney is the second week of November. So lots of opportunities to get involved. And I really do hope that, that companies take advantage of both this and, and the climate index that I mentioned earlier. They're both. I think very important pieces of research that give companies the tools to better serve their LGBT employees, but also the tools to advocate for equality using the economic power that they have. And I hope that they'll take advantage of them. Awesome. And I've got one more question. If if I'm a high school, college student, uh, LGBT, and I want to be a business leader of some sort, or I'm just starting out my career, how can OutLeadership help me as an individual? I would say a few things. I'm always happy and I get requests on a daily basis, pretty much, from young leaders and from senior leaders to connect to other people in the community. We have the, we actually, I think, I think we have the largest LGBT network in the world given sort of our global reach. So I'm always happy to connect to people. And, you know, what, what I say to young leaders in our Out Next platform, for example, is that as an LGBT person, you have a gay vantage now. You can reach out to LGBT senior people at almost any company and nine times out of 10, they will take your call because they know what it's like to be a young gay person. That is unique. That is special. That is not something any other community has. And so I, I always encourage young leaders to take advantage of that. You know, you reach out to, to Marty Chavez and he's the CFO of Goldman Sachs, but he's a gay man who grew up pretty much like anybody else did having to navigate coming out. He remembers that. And we'll be supportive. I mean, any of the senior leaders that we have in our global network feel the same way. And so, you know, whether it's throughout leadership or not, I really encourage people to to know that, understand that, and take advantage of it. That's great advice. Thank you so much. Well, thank you so much for coming back to us for another interview. We appreciate having your time. And I think this is a great campaign. Yeah. Um, and I'm excited to see exactly how it evolves over time. Well, thanks. Nice to be here. And thanks for all the work you guys are doing. Thank, thank you. Fun. Thank you. Thank you, Todd, for coming and talking to us about LGBT plus self-ID. John and I are huge advocates of individuals coming out at work, especially because of the benefits that it can bring to you as an individual in your career. Now, that may not feel like it's the case for everyone, but the way that that can happen is when we have supportive companies. And Todd's work with OutLeadership and LGBTQ plus self-ID is showing how companies can be and are becoming more supportive of their LGBT population, especially if they know that their population of employees has a group that self-identifies as LGBT. So please, if you can, come out at work. It will help you. It will help people around you. You do not know whose lives you may be touching. 
Thanks again for listening to this episode of Queer Money. Thank you again, Todd, for joining us. We appreciate you being with us and continuing to support the community. Thanks and have a great week. To learn more about how our sponsor, Capital One, is reimagining their local spaces and experiences to have banking better fit your life, visit www.capitalone.com and follow them on social at Capital One Cafe. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.